Welcome to the Podlot, serving up bite-sized tastes of the best theology. I'm your host, Megan Westra. Grab a plate and let's dig in. Today marks the halfway mark in our first season here at the Podluck. So we are hearing from our fifth guest today, uh, answering the question, what does it mean to be saved? And y'all, I don't know about you, but I've really been enjoying this and hearing different perspectives around the same question. So if you are enjoying this, uh, drop a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Not only does this help other people find the podluck and find out about it, Uh, but it's cool for uh, me to get to see and kind of think about feedback moving forward, where we going in season two, uh, things like that. So drop a review. Uh, Let me know if you're enjoying hearing all these different perspectives or not. Um, A couple of reviews for you of different people who have chimed in. Uh, HP Evangelist, which I'm really hoping HP stands for Harry Potter and not Hewlett Packard, um, says it's the Goldilocks Theology Podcast. So HP Evangelist writes, I've tried so many different theology or church podcasts, but cannot listen to them for over an hour plus. Megan Wester manages to pack a lot of info into a little space and gets out of the way of her guests. Superb. So thank you very much, HP Evangelist. Um, And then Jamal Clarence writes, short and sweet. I've listened to the preseason where Megan explains differing perspectives in a clear and concise way. This makes it easy to recommend to friends who may be newer to theological study. The regular season format is great as well. Getting to hear her guests answer the question for that season. It's a nice change of pace from other podcasts where you may listen to banter for 10 to 15 minutes before any real substance. Perfect podcast for a short commute or running errands. Looking forward to hearing more. So thanks so much to HP Evangelist and to Jamal Clarence for leaving a review. And if you have a couple minutes this week, would love for you to drop a review as well. So let's get into it for today. Let me just get out of the way uh, as our reviewers have said. So today's guest, I'm super excited to be talking with Dominique Gilliard. Uh, I got to talk with him in person a couple of weeks ago, which is always cool when I get to uh, speak face to face with people instead of calling over the phone. Uh, but also just as a heads up, I think the audio is pretty good. We were recording uh, in a corner of a conference center. So if there is some noise of people walking by or something like that, uh, just know that that was what was going on. We were at the Christian Community Development Association conference a couple of weeks ago. Uh, which Dominique serves on their board. Um, Other things that you should know about Dominique, um, he is the director of Racial Righteousness and Reconciliation for the Evangelical Covenant Church and the author of Rethinking Incarceration, Advocating for Justice That Restores, uh, which is on InterVarsity Press. It came out in 2018. And y'all, if you haven't picked up that book, um, you really, really need to. Um, I... uh, Red Rethinking Incarceration shortly after it came out um, and just a brilliant book uh, that helps us think differently about uh, incarceration and specifically as people who are followers of Christ, um, what that means for us. Um, You know, I have centered my faith a lot over the last 
decade and a half or so, probably the last 15 years, um, I'm Matthew 25, right? And, and Jesus saying like, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was sick and in prison, you came and visited me. And whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And so, so much of my faith in the last 15 years has been predicated on looking for Jesus in unexpected places and trying to approach um, people um, in my life as though they were were Christ um, kind of hiding in, in the midst of everyday life. But one of the ways that I hadn't thought about that a whole lot until the last couple of years, I'm certainly far less than 15, is um, how how is the way that I think about people who are incarcerated or who are um, somehow involved with the justice system? Um, and I put justice in air quotes, but you can't see those. Uh, how is the way that I interact with, with people in the justice system or people who are incarcerated? How does that um, affect the way that I view Christ or the way that I see God at work in the world? And so Dominique does that work super well in rethinking incarceration. So pick up that book for sure. Um, we are talking today though on the podluck about the question of the season. What does it mean to be saved? And so Dominique breaks that down for us in some super fantastic ways. And so I'm so excited to roll tape on this and for you to hear from him. So grab a plate and let's dig in. acceptance and incorporation into the body of Christ and it ends there um, and I think salvation and what it means to be saved that's just the beginning of the process um, I think we have to think more critically about what my uh, one of my former mentors used to say a lot is we're saved so that and so I'm really interested in the so that question of salvation and like many things, when I think about uh, this, I, I turn back to Dr. King and some of his words. So Dr. King said, the gospel at its best deals with the whole person, not only with his soul, but with their body, not only with their spiritual well-being, but also their material well-being. A religion that professes a concern for the souls of people and is not equally concerned about the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social constraints that cripple them is a spiritually morbid religion awaiting burial. And so I think the role of the church are people who have been saved and incorporated into the body of Christ is to not only orally articulate the gospel in a way that invites other people to join the body of Christ, but lives in a way that it shows its concern for these other conditions that Dr. King is raising here. Um, Dr. King also said in his uh, 1968, I've been to the mountaintop speech, uh, it's all right to talk about streets flowing with milk and honey, 
but God has con commanded us to be concerned about the slums down here and his children who can't eat three square meals a day. It's all right to talk about the new Jerusalem, but one day God's people must talk about the new New York, the new Atlanta, the new Philadelphia, the new Los Angeles, the new Memphis, Tennessee. And to accent that, we, we have to go beyond just talking. That's not what Dr. Kent was saying, but just to make it crystal clear, we have to go beyond just talking. We have to go to the point of embodying our faith. And for me, one of the things I struggled with is when we talk about evangelism, even within, again, it's mostly evangelical context. Uh, evangelism has been reduced down to oral articulation. Um, but the gospel calls us to an embodied evangelism, a holistic evangelism, where which does not reduce the importance of oral articulation, but it's legitimated by um, our ethics and how we, how our lives are transformed and our ethics are renewed um, because of our incorporation into Christ. Mm -hmm. um, the ways in which we die so that Christ may live in and through us, um, so that we bear witness to the new creations that we've become. Um, and the liberation that Christ birthed um, for us and offers is not just a spiritual liberation, nor is spiritual liberation the exclusive concern of God or the gospel. Biblically, biblically speaking, we are spiritually liberated in order to recalibrate our lives, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to partner with God in the work of holistic liberation and restoration within the confines of our fallen material world. And I think as we think critically about the role of salvation, um, salvation is something that um, hallmarks our lives. Um, and salvation is something that reorients us into a Christ-like disposition in the world. Um, and that disposition is towards other people who need to know the good news of Jesus Christ and come become part of the family of God. But it's also uh, towards systems and structures that are impairing people's lives and their ability to flourish in the way that God originally created them to do. And so salvation, again, is, uh, is this monumental moment, but it is not the period in the sentence. Uh, it is the transformation that allows us to illuminate Christ's life, love, mercy, and justice in the world so that other people understand who God truly is. Because let's be honest, in our world we have uh, a lot of distorted uh, reflections of God's love and witness, and a lot of people are turned away from salvation because of the witness of the church. And the, the flawed witness of the church. Now, there's always a remnant of the church who has always been faithful and authentic reflection, but all too often, the flawed witness of the church is the one of the primary things that are keeping people from salvation. Um, theologian Daniel Grudy writes in his book, Globalization, Spirituality, and Justice, mm -hmm. that God's concern for the poor and oppressed is one of the most central themes of the Bible. In the New Testament, one out of every 16 verses is about the poor. In the Gospels, the number is one out of every 10. In Luke's Gospel, the number is one out of seven. And in James, the number is one out of every five. The centrality of the good news for the poor, which comes into the world through the hands and the feet of Christ and the body of Christ and the transformed witness of people who 
um, had been saved and worked that salvation out in fear and trembling through their orientation to their neighbor, to people that they probably previously didn't see themselves as bound to, as connected to, um, that witness, scripture tells us, is how the world will come to know that we belong to Jesus. And so this understanding of salvation as just this inner transformation that doesn't have any outward manifestation is incomplete understanding of salvation. And I, I, I want to turn back just to scripture for people just um, to kind of really anchor with what I'm saying within the text. Uh, one of the most important texts for me in my understanding of this is Romans 8, 14 through 17. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Mm -hmm. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And this is the key verse that we oftentimes leave, leave out. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-laborers with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so there is this cruciform reality of what salvation must bear witness to in our lives and how we live in orientation towards our neighbor and towards broken systems and structures. God was in Christ reconciling the world to God's self. And I think a lot of times we've taken that as reconciling uh, broken individuals to God's self. But the biblical text says reconciling the world. And so I think we make the gospel too small when we think about the gospel as just something that saves souls. But the gospel is something that is actually actively at work in our broken world, rectifying the entire cosmos to God's self. And God is inviting us into that transformative process. God is saying that you as agents of reconciliation, ambassadors of the good news, are invited to partner with Jesus with the work that Jesus is actively involved in, showing the world that this was never God's original intent. And that God is in the midst of redeeming and restoring creation. But me and you get invited to play a role in it. We are co-heirs with Christ. And the text says, if we are co-sufferers. And so I think sometimes, well, I want to be clear, salvation is a gift that is freely given. Salvation is something that we cannot earn. But salvation is costly as well. And that, there's a reason why scripture tells us that we're supposed to work it out with fear and trembling. Salvation is not just merely a get out of hell free card. Um, I oftentimes say that in the West, one of the biggest heretical realities is that we want to have the benefits of the resurrection without having to endure crucifixion. But there is no resurrection without going through crucifixion. And what that verse is highlighting is what, I mean, what that statement is highlighting is verse 17 in Romans 8, 17. It says that if we are co-heirs, then we are also co-sufferers with Christ. And when we co-suffer with Christ, we start to enter into the brokenness of our reality. We name the brokenness, we confess the brokenness, we lament the brokenness, and then we go out 
transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, to start to transform not only individuals, not only communities, not only systems and structures, but the world itself. And so that's a really important passage for me in this understanding. And another, another way that I think that this is important, and we talk about the implications of salvation, um, my light verse is Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it tells us that we cannot be conformed to the patterns and the logics of this world, but we must be transformed uh, through the renewing of our minds by the Holy Spirit so that we ultimately understand that the call upon our lives is to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God. And when we live in such a way that we are not conformed to the patterns and the logics of this world, the first step in that really is confession. It's naming the ways in which the powers and principalities and logics of this world are trying to lure us into thinking, behavior, um, an engagement that really is anti-gospel, um, that is inspired by the devil, which scripture is very clear, is the father of lies. Mm -hmm. He is the original distorter of God's truth. And scripture tells us that when Satan lies, he speaks in his native tongue. Mm -hmm. And so we have to take seriously the ways in which Romans 12 is a direct um, challenge to the activity of Satan in our lives where Satan is trying to get us to conform to the patterns and the logics of this world that produce death, destruction, and injustice to the point that those things are so normative around us that most Christians really honestly get seduced into thinking that there's nothing that we can do about it. We actually believe that those things have more power than the Holy Spirit and the presence of God who is actively at work in the world again, reconciling the whole world to God's self. Mm -hmm. When I was a pastor in Oakland, I oftentimes would tell people um, that the most challenging verse in scripture is the text that says that we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. It's so easy to let what you see on the nightly news every day, all the bad news in the community, all the death, destruction, school shootings, um, families being separated at the border, mass incarceration, all of this bad news. It's so easy to be seduced into thinking that death actually has more power than God. Mm -hmm. um, that what you ultimately see should dictate how you live. But scripture is explicitly clear that we walk by faith and not by sight. And if we walk by faith and not by sight, then we can't allow the bad news of the world to actually lead us into believing that it is more powerful than the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And when we confess the ways in which the world is vying for our allegiance um, and tempting us into believing that, you know, they're, they're, it's synonymous to be a good Christian and to be a good American citizen, um, which leads to this toxic blending of nationalism and Christianity, um, we start to defend um, nationalism in a way that actually starts to water down the gospel. Um, and we also don't see the ways in which we've been socialized by the world to think of people, um, think about humanity on this sliding scale, mm -hmm. um, in which one, certain people are more reflective of the divine image and other people are less reflective. Certain people inherently have more value than other people. Uh, U.S. citizens are more important than people who don't have U.S.
that citizenship, all of these different ways in which um, our, our world normalizes these patterns and these logics that are a direct affront to the Mago day. Um, so I think these, these things are really critical for us to reckon with, and Romans 12 tells us that the first way that we reckon with it is confession. The second thing we have to do is lament that reality of the ways in which the world has conformed us to the patterns and the logics of worldly empires that directly contrast the kingdom truth mm -hmm. of the gospel, then we have to repent. And repentance is one of the things that I think we have sorely missed the mark on. Um, I love it in scripture where John the Baptist says that there should be fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is not just confession that you're sorry and that you're not going to do it again. There should be some tangible manifestation of your turning away from sin and returning back to God. There has to be fruit, which is evidence in your life that bears witness to your repentance. And when we think about repentance in that way, then I think we finally get a way of seeing that repentance is not this one-time activity. It is. It becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a way of saying that I acknowledge that Romans 12 is explicitly clear that it's not the patterns and the logics of this world come after me at one point in time and after I denounce them and renounce them, I, my, my spirit is forever, I mean, my mind is forever transformed by the spirit. Satan is consistently coming after us. And scripture is explicitly clear. Satan has one job, to kill, steal, and destroy our witness. And when we think of repentance as this one-time thing, um, we confess, we say we're sorry, and then we say we turn back to God, and all of that is taken care of, then we allow Satan to come back and again, steal, kill, and destroy our witness. And so I think it's really important, but also when we think about just keeping with repentance and bearing fruit in our repentance, I think this this is one of the passages that I, I don't hear people reckon with when we have this conversation about salvation. And again, I wanna be clear, salvation is freely given. It's not something that we can earn, but I also think that salvation comes to people who have repentant hearts, who have done the work of confessing their sin and turning away from their sin and are, are manifesting some fruit in keeping with repentance. So when we look at the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 7 through 10, it says, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He had gone to be the guest of a sinner, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if anybody I have cheated if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation is coming to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of God came to seek and to save the lost. Now it's really interesting, Zacchaeus, in this interaction, uh, Jesus had already stood up, went out of his way, climbed up a tree to try to get access to Jesus. He had talked to Jesus, he had invited Jesus to his house, said, I know I'm not worthy for you to come, but I want you to come. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just an acknowledgement of Jesus's presence and Jesus's lordship really, that brought salvation into Zacchaeus' house. It's really interesting that Jesus doesn't say until there is some fruit in keeping with repentance that salvation has actually come into Zacchaeus' house. And so, again, I don't want people to understand, misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not advocating for works righteousness. 
I'm saying that there is a difference between a confession of sin and an actual biblical definition of turning away from sin and returning to God. And there is something that's linked between that witness to your turning from sin and turning back to God that bears fruit in keeping with repentance that God affirms in this story and actually says there's a direct correlation between salvation and that type of witness. So I just really want to challenge us to think more deeply about salvation as something more than just inviting Jesus into your heart and believing that it is a get out of hell free card. Salvation is more than just that. Salvation is a transformation in the life of an individual that is tangibly witnessed by the community because of the different orientation one has towards their neighbor, towards God, towards creation. And it leads to a repentant heart that is willing to bear fruit in its witness for tuning in again this week. Like I said at the top of the show, if you have a couple minutes this week, please drop a rating or a review um, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's so helpful to keep the podluck into the algorithm so people see um, the podluck and find out about new episodes, but also it's just cool to see what you all are thinking. Uh, To join the conversation on social media, use at podluckpodcast at uh, on Twitter or at the Podluck Podcast on Instagram. Um, there's a Facebook page too. Um, if you just search Podluck Podcast, it'll come up on there. To support the Podluck, please visit our Patreon page. It has been super exciting in the last month. Um, there are enough patrons that I, it's only costing me about $5 a month to produce this podcast at this point, um, which is really cool. Um, I enjoy doing this work and it's been really fun for me. Um, and also it's nice that I'm almost breaking even. Um, so I, you know, I make sure that this is hosted online. There's a transcript for every episode and things like that. And all of that, um, costs about $20 a month with the services that I use. And so we are getting really close to breaking even, which is nice. Um, but if you want to support the podluck and help us break even visit patreon.com. Um, the link is in the show notes. And then if you, support at just a dollar a month you get access to a slack channel where we're having conversations about these episodes uh there's some other incentives if you are able to support at a higher level um and then i think that might be it join the conversation online support on patreon leave a review leave a rating yeah i think that's all i got for you this week uh thanks so much for tuning in uh we'll be back again next week we've got another fantastic guest lined up talking about what does it mean to be saved. Um, But for this week, I've been your host, Megan Westra. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Podluck. Have a wonderful week and join us next time as we dig in more to the question, what does it mean to be saved?